Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nvplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Book of Luke, chapter number five. Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter number five. Last week, we talked about uh, living in principle. Today, we're going to continue a little bit in that line, but I want to talk about the principle of obedience, the principle of obedience uh, found in Scripture, and uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through and including 11, reads, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it reads, so it was as the multitude pressed about to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's a key phrase there, Simon. And ask him to put out a little from the land. Take the boat, put it off the shore. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, I have toiled or worked all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that when they began, so that they began to sink, rather. When Simon Peter, up until this point, Luke addresses Simon only as Simon. Verse 8, now he says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Notice the play of words. Verse 5, but Simon said to him, Master, that word master is teacher or rabbi. But now, in verse 8, he calls him Lord. He first addressed him as a teacher. But after this experience, he doesn't address him as a teacher. He addresses him as Lord. Verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Jesus. Last week, <clears throat> we mentioned that when it comes to the blessing, the blessing doesn't rub off on people. We also said that the blessing is not contagious. You can't hang out with me and get my blessing. It doesn't happen that way. What we talked about last Sunday was that the more you live life by principles, the less you need a miracle. Many people come to church for miracles. But the power of the word of God is that once you apply that word and you live it, you no longer pursue miracles because People who live life in principle, their lives is a walking miracle. But when you don't apply principles, you need a miracle. And this goes as spiritual as seeking the face of God and as simple as living life normal. If all you eat is McDonald's, Chicken nuggets and french fries and alcapurrias, right? Oh, God, they're so good, right? From, from 192. And, and, and that's all you eat. You're going to have cholesterol. So you need a miracle of healing because you, you, you just got a horrible principle diet. But if you eat right, you don't need a miracle. If you're always broke, and you have a job, your problem ain't money, you just don't apply the principle of stewardship. So now you need God to make a miracle in your finances, but try to save, see what happens. When you live life by principles, you're not asking God to make a miracle because God honors principle living. So God wants to take us to a place where we're not living our Christian walk expecting God to always do an abracadabra miracle. He wants us to live to a place where we can say, well, Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and mercy follows me. Why? Because I live life in principle. So it doesn't rub off. You can't get it because you're hanging out with a pastor. It's not going to come because you're sitting in the roles of the ministers. you got to live life by principle. So today I want to talk about the principle of obedience based on Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And let me give you the situational ambience of this text. Luke says that there was a great crowd following Jesus. The Bible also says that Jesus was pressed by the multitude. Why? Because they were hungry for a word of the Lord. I don't know why you come to church, but I know why I come to church. I come to church to give God the best praise I could give 
But then I come to get from God a word that can strengthen me Monday through Saturday. That's why I come to church. I don't come to show off my high heels, which I don't wear none, but. The masses were hungry for Jesus. Except three men. Jesus walks to Genazareth, which by the way, chapter 4, Jesus was in Nazareth, and when he got there, the masses followed Jesus. I'm talking about the masses. And what happened? Jesus goes to the synagogue. When he goes to the synagogue, they give him to read the scroll. He opens the scroll. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for, God has, for, the, for he has anointed me to preach, to teach, to heal, to restore, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And after he read that, he said, today the scripture has been fulfilled. He's, he closes the scroll, and the people in the synagogue, when Jesus is reading this, they got so mad at Jesus that they were trying to kill him. And the Bible says they were looking to throw him off a cliff, and Jesus disappeared in the midst of the crowd. From that, Jesus is running for his life, only to end up in chapter 5 at the lake of Genesareth to find another multitude, hungry, desperate, pursuing Jesus. And while Jesus is overwhelmed by the embrace of the multitude, he notices at a distance that everybody's toward Jesus except three guys by the name of Simon, James and John. It's interesting. The masses were following Christ, except these few men. Jesus was interested in someone who was not interested in him. While all the masses are after Jesus, Jesus wasn't excited that the multitudes were after him. While everybody's hype on Jesus, Jesus is interested in someone who is not interested in him. I'm glad that my God is that kind of God. That he doesn't look after me because I, I, I represent what people feel a good Christian ought to be. I'm glad that God looks at me, even in spite of my predicament and my condition, he looks at me through the eyes of faith and expectation. The protagonist of this story, the main character of this story, was Simon. Yet he wasn't interested in Jesus. He had another focus. Simon had another focus. His focus was personal. Simon didn't care about the master. When Jesus sees Simon, Simon was uninterested in Jesus. Now imagine with me, if you will, the multitude pressing on Jesus. Can you, you see it? The noise. The smell, can you smell? Can you smell it? A lot of people, no deodorant. Can you smell it? Bad breath, can you smell it? It's, it's morning breath. It was in the morning. It's crazy. There's a ruckus. There's noise. Because wherever there's a multitude, there's ruckus, right? Wherever there's a multitude, there's noise. So Jesus is surrounded by the crowd, and all the way on the other side, there's three guys cleaning some nets. And, 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 and if you're like me, like, you know, I'm a Hispanic, 
I'm always drawn to noise. What's going on over there? Right, right. Whenever there's a ruckus, oh, there's a fight. Let's go. Ain't no fight. This is playing dominoes. You know, it's, 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 we're always drawn to drama. Always drawn to drama. And it's like when you're on the, when you're on the highway and there's traffic and you're stuck and you're honking, hurry up and hurry. And you know there's an accident about uh, three quarters of a mile and you're honking, hurry up, hurry. And why are these people, they're just looking and they want to see what's going on. And you're complaining the entire quarter of a mile till when you get to the accident, you stop. And you criticize on the same thing you're doing. But these guys were so caught up in their situation that they didn't even bother to acknowledge what was happening in the multitude. Listen to me. They had another focus. And I like the fact that even though they didn't recognize Jesus, Jesus recognized them. Now, they weren't speaking. They were quiet. Jesus was overwhelmed by the noise. Hey, that was a powerful word, Jesus. Oh, can you heal me? Oh, can you touch me? There was so much noise going on over here. But something about Jesus, he has the power to hear what no one can hear. They weren't talking. The Bible says they were washing their nets. They weren't conversing. There was no dialogue. There was no monologue. There was no conversation. Everybody was quiet. But in the middle of their silence, Jesus was able to interpret. I'm here to tell you that Jesus has the power to interpret your silence. And what no one can hear, Jesus can hear. He heard their pain. He heard their silence. Jesus recognized Simon. And I want to let you know, church, that Jesus recognizes your silence. Jesus recognizes your pain. Jesus, like he did to Simon, he's acknowledging your presence. Now, it was more easy for Simon to look at Jesus because of the crowd. Than it was for Jesus to look at Simon because of the crowd. In the midst of the noise and distraction, Jesus observes a man and men who are going through failure. Not only are they going through failure, they're tired. They're exhausted. And all they want to do is go home and get some sleep. Have you ever been tired? I'm talking about tired. Like your back hurt, your cramps, everything. And, and, and tired of work, right? And you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work. And, but the good thing is that after you work, whether it's 15 hours, 30 hours, or 40 hours, there's this thing called paycheck, right? So even though you're like, oh, you take your, your, your messed up pain hurting in the back self, to the bank, and you cash your little check, and you're like, at least I got money for it, right? These guys worked and worked and worked and worked and had nothing to show for it. Their back was in pain. Their legs hurting. They had nothing to show for all they had worked for. And they're tired 
And the only thing in their mind must have been, if it was me, all I want to do is finish cleaning up the stuff, go to bed, forget about the day, and go on my merry way. They were tired. They were exhausted. Simon would have been, Gabby, I'm going to bed. I don't want to talk to nobody. I've worked and I've worked and I have nothing to show for it. What do you do after all you've done and you have nothing but pain? What do you do after you work and you labor and you give and you give and you sacrifice and you're up at early in the morning and late at night and you serve and at the end of the day you're going home to, with empty hands. What do you do? Simon said, I'm going to bed. I'm tired. He was so tired, he didn't even notice his environment. He was so tired, he didn't realize that his Savior was right in the midst of his presence. He was so tired, and he was so caught up by his failure that he didn't realize that the man that was going to restore and change the course of his destiny was about 30, 40 feet away from him. He was so caught up. And listen, some people are so caught up in their failures and in the things that they're going through that they're missing the point that it's not a matter of failure. It's a matter of understanding that in the midst of your predicament, you cannot let your predicament cause you to lay down and sleep when there's an agenda with your name on it. He said, I'm going to bed. He was so tired, he wasn't even interested in what Jesus had to say. He was so tired, he didn't want to go hear Jesus preach. He was so tired, he didn't even want to go to church. Jesus is preaching and teaching and ministering. And this guy's so fed up and so tired. I'm not going to church. I don't want to hear nothing. I just want to go to sleep and get this pain over. Simon was not interested in Jesus. Church, don't ever get to a place where you lose focus on Christ because of your temporary circumstance. His focus was the problem before him. It wasn't his problem. Simon's problem was not his problem. Simon's problem was the focus of his problem. What problems today impede you from identifying Jesus in your walk? Because if you're saying, well, is that, it's too many problems. Well, Jesus said, in this world you have many problems. He never promised to remove us the problem. He, what he wants us to do is in the midst of your problem, can you stay focused? In the midst of your problem, can you keep your eyes on me? In the midst of your problem, can you focus your attention on me? In the midst of the problem, can you just turn your neck about two, two inches to the left and focus on me? In the middle of your crisis, don't go to bed. Don't go to sleep. Turn around and notice that the answer to your problem is It's right there. I want to encourage you, church, and tell you that God sees us when we can't see him. I'm glad that he sees us when we don't see him. And look at what Jesus saw when he saw Simon. Jesus saw the following. He saw two boats stationed at the port. Boats are means of transportation. Boats are not designed to be at a port. 
the purpose of a boat is to be in water and float and go to a direction. But the disciples came to a point in their life where they said, what I have in my life to be able to take me from one place to another, I'm going to park it, I'm going to port it, I'm going to ship it, I'm going to dock it, and I'm going to stop using the potential of the thing I have in my hands. They stationed their boats on the dock. I ask you, Newberg, what has you tied up to the dock? What has you stuck at the pier? What has caused you to say, I am not going back into deep waters again. So consequence, I'm going to play it safe, lock myself up, chain myself up, and stay right here. Is it really it? Is it discouragement? Is it frustration? Is it surrender? Is it unhappiness? What has caused you to give up? Jesus chose Simon's boat. But Simon is tied up. Jesus chose Simon's boat. And Simon was acquitted. Jesus chose Simon's boat, and Simon gave up. Newberg, God never chooses us because we qualify. He chooses us because he sees us. God is glorified in your failures. Let me say that again. God gets glory in your failures. God, if you're victorious and you can get things done on your own, how does God get glory out of that? It's in your lack of that God gets glorified. It's in your Lazarus dying that God says, Lazarus comes forth. It's in your not having anything to feed that God takes a few fish and bread and feeds 5,000. It's in the middle of your enemies surrounding you that you start crying out to God and you start crying out to the Lord and the Red Sea opens. It's in the middle of a wall of Jericho that you start crying out to God and the city comes down flat and you can go through walls. God gets the glory out of your limits. When I look over my life and I see all of the things that I could have used as excuse to port myself in the dock, I have more than enough reason. Don't do it, Pastor. You're not going to go nowhere. Don't do it, Pastor. You don't qualify. You know how many times I heard that? You can't do it. Imagine if I had to port my life on the ship, you can't do it. Where would we all be? But Jesus chose Simon, even though he knew Simon was tired. Listen, I would not recruit somebody to work with me if I know they're tired. I 
will not recruit somebody to work with me if I know they can't do the job. I will not recruit somebody. Imagine you are a, a boss of a company and you hire people that have physical impediments. You wouldn't do that. Oh, my God, he's going to be calling. He's going to be calling. He's he, he going to be calling sick every week. No, you want to get robust, strong, energetic, enthusiastic, creative people. Jesus chose a guy who failed at his profession. He said, I want you, Baba. Listen to me. To see the miracle, the first thing you must do is let Jesus inside your boat. To see a miracle, the first thing you need to do is let Jesus in your boat. Verse 3 says, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now, if you look at the scripture, you realize that Jesus didn't ask permission to get on the boat. And the impression here could be one of Jesus being an impertinent, disrespectful person. Because he said, hey, hey, Simon, can I get on your boat? No. The Bible says, Jesus got on his boat. Didn't ask him permission. And now I want you to see this. He's washing his nets. He's tired. He's ready to go to sleep. He's ready to go to bed. And while he's ready to go, here comes Jesus and gets inside his boat. The boat was unoccupied. And Jesus says, I'm coming in. Church, Jesus wants to fill the empty areas of your life. This morning. And then after he goes in, because he didn't ask him, can I get on the boat? He just barged in. He asked him this. This is when he asked him, verse 3. And asked him, that word ask is to request, to plead. So he's like, hey, he asked him to put out a little, I'm sorry, and asked him to put out a little from the land, to put the boat out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Notice, he didn't ask to get on the boat. He took authority and got on the boat. The only thing he asked, and the word asked is to beg, to plead, was for him to get away from the shore and go a little bit into the water. Because, because, because God is in the business of entering in your heart. But there's some things that now once God comes in, you got to do some things so that God can start the ministry process and the healing process in your life. Something God does with our cooperation. He'll save us with our cooperation. He'll restore us with our cooperation. He'll sanctify us with our cooperation. But then he says, now that I'm in your heart, here's what I need you to do. I need you to step aside and get away from the thing that reminds you of failure. There are people that are stuck at the shore, tied up to the port of failure, tied up to the pier of depression. And Jesus is begging you, if you get out of the pier, you're going to see the glory God, he begged him, he requested him, and here we see Simon's first act of obedience, because Jesus walked in, he didn't ask permission for that, but Jesus is begging him, please, please let me in, let, let me lead you and go a little into the deep. Now, Jesus asked Simon. To put the boat a little from the shore. And the, and, and the question I asked was, well, then why, why did Simon obey? 
Why does Simon obey? Why? Because he wasn't interested in his teachings. He wasn't interested in his ministry. Why does Simon obey even though Simon was tired? Because if you ask me to do something and I'm not tired, I'm like, oh, could I wait till tomorrow right quick? Like, could I wait? Could I wait after the playoffs because I want to see if LeBron's going to win? You know, but, 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 but he's tired. Like, you, you, listen, you can't get me to do anything once I'm tired. Once I, put, once I get on that bed, and I got the bed with the numbers, and you press the numbers, and it goes, Once I get on that bed, I ain't doing nothing. That could wait till tomorrow. What caused Peter to obey even though he was tired? Was it faith? No, he didn't have faith at this point in his life. Why did Peter obey? Here's why he obeyed. Read chapter 4. Chapter 4, you're going to see, let me tell you, there's a power in request. Jesus requested Simon to go a little off. But if you go to Luke chapter 4, you're going to see, you're going to, you know, there, there are people, there, let me read the story. You're going to read. Luke chapter 4, verse 38, 39. Listen to this. Because Jesus asked Simon for a request, but Simon was the first one to ask Jesus for a request. Luke chapter 4, verse 38 says, Jesus left the synagogue. And went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked. That word ask is to plead. They plead. They requested Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. She got up at once and began to wait. That word wait is to serve on the disciples. So Simon and his family requested Jesus to heal his mama. Remember I told you. Remember I told you. Chapter 4. They were trying to look for Jesus and kick him off a cliff and kill him. In the middle of all that persecution, G Peter requests for Jesus to show up and do a miracle. Now, Jesus is reversing the role. And he said, Papa, uh, chapter 4, you asked me, you requested me for something, and I did it. They were trying to kill me. It almost cost my life. But I made the sacrifice even though I was afraid and didn't want to do it. So now when Peter says, I'm tired, I'm, I'm sick, I'm messed up, I got nothing. But because you asked for a request, I asked for a request, and you healed my mama, I'm going to let me tell you something. Let me tell you. There are things that we do in God that maybe we don't understand the rationale behind it, but there's power in request and there's power in obedience. That's why I'm here to tell you, if Jesus say do something, do it, and you will see greater results. Jesus, come to my house. Please, I beg you. Clean, heal my mom-in-law. Now Jesus plays the same game on Peter. Peter, please. Take your boat off. And later on, later on in Luke chapter 22 somewhere, Jesus does it again. Jesus told Peter, Peter, I want you to know that the devil has tried to shift you as wheat. But I have pleaded, I have prayed, I have asked that your faith don't fail. And so you, you see a game between pleading and praying and interceding and request. I'm here to tell you, church, when God asks you to do something, it's not because he wants you to sacrifice and he wants you to die and suffer somewhere. Whenever God asks you to do something, it's because he wants to use your work to the glory of God. God don't need me to be holy. God don't need me to be 
powerful. God don't need me to be great. He allows me to be used by him so that I can see that he's holy, so that I can see that he's great, so that I can see that he's powerful. And I'm here to tell you, if you take the boat off the pier, eyes, your eyes will not have any idea of the things you're going to see the moment you obey the Lord in the midst of your weariness. Listen to me. Jesus to Simon. Take the boat and put it out a little off the land. Who and what has you stuck in the pier? You got to get that out. You got to get that out. You got to remove that from your life. Remember what the Lord has done for you. You cannot say no. You don't have the luxury of saying no. When you think back all God has done for you, you can't quit. You can't give up. Here's my principle today. Obedience always produces a miracle. Obedience. Not that, the, not that obedience has the power to make a miracle. Because obedience in and of itself has no power. But obedience to God then positions God in a place to bless you. Because you can obey enemies of God and you ain't going to get blessed. You can obey everybody, but, but obedience to God positions you in a place where God now can give you what he has for you. This great catch of fish in Luke required obedience. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch to the deep. That's, I want you to obey this. First, he took over his boat, barged in, is my boat, chill. Second, he begged him. But now he's commanding him. And now Simon has to choose to obey or disobey. Launch out into the deep. So in essence, the miracle did not happen because of Simon's faith. Because Simon, up until this point, he had no faith whatsoever. This portion of scripture has nothing to do with faith. But it has everything to do with obedience. The miracle stemmed from Jesus speaking a word over Simon's life. When Jesus finished teaching, he tells Simon, look what he says. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So I ask you, church, can you obey in the midst of uncertainty? Can you obey right after your faith? Can you obey when everything is sour? Because how easy it is to obey Jesus when everything is going your way. But when, but when it's not going your way. When your back hurts and your nets are empty. And you've caught nothing. Can you obey? Listen to this verse. Verse 5 through 7. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, teacher, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. There's no faith in that scripture. He's telling Jesus exactly how he feels. He feels tired. He's exhausted. 
And I want to let you know that God is okay with you telling him how you feel. God, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm at my breaking point. God don't have a problem you telling him how you feel. But there's got to come a point in your life where your feelings have to transcend to obedience. You can't live the rest of your walk in God based on how you feel. Peter said, God, we've tried this all night. But then the act of obedience comes and he says, but at your word, they had done this, check this out, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled all the partners in the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that the boats began to sink. Church, we need to learn to obey even when we don't see the whole picture. Some of us want to obey when we see it. It makes sense. Got it. Mm, yeah, that's where I'm going. But God is saying, obey me, Simon, even though you're tired and everything in your environment doesn't look kosher. Because morning was not the time to fish. Night was the time to fish. And, 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 and if Peter would have gone by, by his environment, if Peter would have gone by looking at the whole picture, it wouldn't make sense to go fishing in the daytime because nobody would go fishing in the daytime. Everybody would go fishing at night. But there's a moment in your life where you cannot operate just by what you see, trying to grasp, does this make sense? Does that make sense? Does this make sense? And once you calculate and dot the, and dot the I's and cross the T's, got it. No, no, no. It's in the middle of uncertainty that you can say, I don't understand this. And by the way, I'm tired, but at your word, I don't know the picture. I can't see the picture, but I know the power of your word. At your word. He didn't operate in faith. He operated in obedience. Obedience. Obedience is what God uses. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Listen to me. God does not want partial obedience. God wants total obedience. Jesus tells Peter, Simon, cast the nets, plural. Simon replied, I'm tired, I worked all night, but at your word, I'll cast the net, singular. Jesus didn't tell him to cast a net, he told him to cast the nets. Sometimes we want to partially obey because of how we feel. I'm going to go to church, yeah, okay, I'll obey, I'll go to church, but I ain't going to tie. I'm going to go to church, but I ain't going to serve. Okay, I'll be there. Okay, we understand and agree, but don't expect me to greet nobody. It's that partial obedience that we play. And God is saying, it's either all or nothing. What happens when you display partial obedience? 
when we read this text, when you read this text, all the preachers I've heard preach about this text. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish that the net was breaking. And they were like, oh, you'd be surprised that God's going to fill the nets. No, no, no. That's embarrassing. Look what the Bible says. Verse 6, it says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net broke. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? And the net was what? Breaking. Breaking. It didn't, it's not that it broke. It was continuously breaking. When you obey from a partial standpoint, your partial obedience causes things to continuously break in your life. So imagine, if it was breaking, that means that Peter saw it broke, fixed it. When he fixed it there, over there broke. And he got to go back. And he's going back and forth trying to mend when all he had to do was just do it all. Partial obedience will always bring out situations of crisis and you're going to be running from here and running from there and trying to fix this and trying to fix that because partial obedience is not what God is asking. He said, throw all of the nets. Go, gun ho, and throw it all. That's why there are things in your life that keep breaking because you're just not fully obeying. So as I close, today the Lord is demanding Total surrender. Total surrender. What was the end result of Simon's obedience? What happened? He was in, look what the Lord has done. No, 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 no. The first thing he did was he confessed his sinful state. That's the first thing he did. Oh, my God. Why, why did I obey partially? Why? The first thing he did was repent. Second thing Simon did was acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. First he called him teacher. Yeah, what do you want, teacher? After he saw God's provision, he said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, you, you, you just can't instruct me some stuff. I'm going to make you my lord. You're going to rule my house. You're going to rule my life. I'm not just going to come to you as a teacher and you tell me three things to do and I apply. No, I'm going to make you the Lord of whatever you say do from this moment forward, I'm going to do. He acknowledged the Lordship of Christ. Next thing he does is he prostrates himself before the Lord. He exhibits humility. Simon was a witness of Jesus' power. And it is at that point that now in verse 8, it says, Simon Peter, as long as you do it your way, you're going to always be Simon. But to become Simon Peter, you have to obey. To become Simon Peter, which is that Peter that he says in Matthew 16, and upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. To become that Peter! You've got to be willing to surrender. So what God does is, ultimately, Jesus changes his office. He changes Peter's position from a fisherman. He says, verse 10, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you 
will catch men. In Spanish, this scripture is called La Pesca Milagrosa, the miraculous catch of fish. But the miracle of the catch of fish wasn't that the two boats were sinking. Because the question we have to ask is, who was fishing that day? It wasn't Simon Peter. Simon gave up. It was Jesus in the middle of the crowd. He was looking for fish, and he found three fish. So what does he do? What does he do? He says, I need a bait to catch. Because, you know, there's some fish that you can't, you, there's some fish, in order to catch them, you need to have the right bait. You can't put a totong and expect to catch a fish. You, 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 you can't put collard greens and expect to catch a flounder, you know. You, you got to put the right bait to catch fish. And Jesus is after James, John, and Simon. But here's, here's, here's the bait that he used to catch them. Are you ready? Failure. He used their failure. Because my question to you is, what would have happened? What would have happened, Belgis, if the night before Jesus showed up, they caught my fish? Would they have been there in the morning? No. They'd have been sleeping. They'd have been making money. And Jesus would have showed up, and they would not have been there. So Jesus used their failure as a bait to catch them. That's why when you fail, in the eyes of man, you're a loser. But when you fail, that's the bait God is using to bring you in and remind you he's got a purpose for your life. If Peter hadn't failed that night, he would never have met Jesus at the shore that day. He would not have had the moment with Jesus that he had. Jesus tells Peter, here's the obedience. In the middle of your failure, he says, go into the deep. When we think that, when we read that verse, we're thinking, go far. G Simon wasn't far. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that when there were so much boats, fish on the boat, he had to call his partner, the other boat, to come and fill the fish from one boat to the other. If he was as far as we picture it in our minds, it would have been impossible to keep all those fish. By the time the boat came, fish would have gone. So when Jesus tells him to go into the deep, he's not telling him, distant yourself. See, that's what we do. That's what we do. Okay, I'm going to obey, but I'm going to go far. I'm going to obey, but I'm going to go distant. I'm going to obey, and I'm going to get away from everybody. I'm going to obey. I'm still going to come to church and do the church thing, but, but I'm going to go so far away. Jesus didn't tell Simon, go far away. He told Simon, go to the deep. Deep. Listen, depth has nothing to do with distance. Depth has to do with profundity. In the middle of your uncertainty, don't run away. In the middle of your uncertainty, don't go far. Try to find the deepest place you can go and get there. Because there is your miracle. God doesn't call us to go far. He calls us to go deep. 
God doesn't call us to get away. He calls us to be right in the depth of the reality of God's purpose for our lives. We went to Dominican Republic last year, Punta Cana mission trip. And every time we go, the last day, we go to the beach. And in this beach, we would go in, right? We was walking like this. But then all of a sudden, there was pockets of deep water. Go in. And to the common eye, it didn't look like it was distant. Well, God is telling us, in the middle of your crisis, as you obey, look for the depth. Look, look for the depth. Look for the depth. Look for the depth. Find the deep parts of me. Find it, find it, find it. Don't, don't, don't get caught up with distance. Find it, find it with proximity. Get close. And whenever you, how, how, how do you know where the water is deep, right? You could tell by the color of the water, right? Whenever you see the water blue, like a sky, sky, sky blue, that means that it's shallow. But sometimes in the sea, when you're in the beach, there, there are dark, dark pockets in the sea. Have you ever been at that avenue? And, and there is colder, right? You feel more current. Because even though there are parts that are shallow, that you can see the reflection of the sun in the sky. But, the, but there are some pockets. And Jesus is telling Peter, look for the pockets. Look for the pockets. Look for the pockets. That, that's where the miracle is at. It's in the pockets. It's in the pockets. Look for the deep. Look for the deep. And there was when he found his miracle. So church... Christianity is not easy. Christianity is not a breeze. But if we obey in the midst of our weariness, when we obey in the midst of our 1,000 excuses, not partial obedience, but total obedience, that obedience will lead us to this posture. Lord, I am unworthy. Lord, who are you that even after failing the way I failed and stumbling the way I stumbled, you still usher me to a place of fulfillment? So today the Lord wants to catch you. Today the Lord is throwing out the bait, your failure your shortcomings, that's your bait. I'm here to encourage you, bite the bait. Bite it. Bite it. Bite it. Say, Lord, I've caught nothing. And Jesus say, yes. Lord, I haven't seen it. Lord, when is gonna happen? Lord, I've tried. And while you're crying, He's got a plan. While you're crying, he's already getting the fish together. While you're crying. Please stand. I've learned years ago. I've learned, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I've learned years ago that God uses struggles of life to usher us to greater things. So I want to pray today. 
I want to pray for the church. I want to pray for the church. And I want to pray for salvation, but I want to pray for the church as well. I want to pray for Simons. Who have a problem obeying. Remember, remember that game? Remember that game? Simple Simon says. Remember that? Remember that? Remember that game? That's a game of obedience, right? Simple Simon says do this. Simple Simon says do this. Simple Simon says do this. Do this. You don't do that. Because Simple Simon says, yeah. Simon! Let us obey. With our dirty nets, let us obey. With our empty hands, let us obey. With our back hurt, let us obey. So I'm going to count to three. This is for the church. It's for the church. And if you're here, friend, and you don't have Jesus, the Lord is calling you like he called Peter. But if you need prayer, church, Simon, if you need prayer, Simon, if you need help, Simon, the Lord has prayed for you. The Lord has cried for you because he's got a purpose for your life. Simon, if that's you, I want you to come out of your seat and find a way to get to the altar. Because once you come out, Simon, look, look, look Simon, once you come out, here's what's going to happen. James is going to come to John is going to come. Once Simon gets out, once Simon humbles himself, once Simon steps out in obedience, James is going to come. John is going to come. Your family's going to come. Your ministry's going to come. Everything else is going to start. Somebody's got to say, I am going to obey. I am going. If that's you, run to the altar. Run to the altar. This is for the church. This is for the church. Simon, don't stay. Don't stay in them nets. Simon, don't wash the nets. They're going to get dirty again. Simon, don't wash the nets. They're going to get dirty again. Simon. If you're here and you don't have Jesus, the central focal point of your life, if he is not the central focal point of your life, I want you to come right now because I want to pray for you as well. But today is a day. Today is a day of obedience. Today is a day of transformation. Today is a day of obedience. Today is a day of obedience. Guys, put the verse on Deuteronomy that talks about obedience. Today is a day of obedience. This is what the Lord says when we obey. 28 verse 1 and 2, it says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God today the Lord is saying come 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 try it again try it again try it again I promise this time you're gonna see a blessing I promise this time you're gonna this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.